Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World from Radio New Zealand National. In our last story tonight, we hear about Wellington's plans to become a resilient city. The capital has joined an international group of 100 resilient cities. And Veronica joins a workshop where city planners discuss where Wellington's focus needs to be. But first, she heads to the beach at Lyle Bay with one of Wellington's urban ecologists. Hi, I'm Afanui Emini, the team leader of urban ecology at the Wellington City Council. We're standing here at Lyle Bay, just having a look at some of the issues that the council is currently facing in terms of our coastal resilience and an area of the city that we're looking at in terms of what are our options to better protect our coastline. We chose a perfect time. It's high tide, so already just a normal high tide. The waves are coming right up to this car park. Yes, that's right. This car park is called Surface Corner and it's a car park where we've had a number of issues over the years in terms of repairs being needed. Um, as a council, we're actually about to undertake a study looking at what the options are around the Surface Corner car park and also around the rest of Lyle Bay with the dune system. Can we go for a little walk and have a closer look at what actually needs to be done here? Yeah, so you can see in this area over here, where the wall is, this used to be around two metres high. Currently, because of the sand build-up, it's probably more like 20 centimetres. Um, there was a study done a while ago by a group of high school students, quite coincidentally around the time of some of the major storms, and they found that the height of the sand on Lyle Bay within a two-week period was moving by up to a metre and a half. So it is shifting significantly across the beach. In this area just here, you can see the issue we have with surface corner car park. So now the waves are actually coming up and they've eroded significant areas of the car park and washed most of the asphalting and infrastructure away. So one of the challenges we're facing and decisions we need to make about this area is should we actually retreat from this car park and move it further back towards the road and replant dunes? in order to better protect the road and the rest of the infrastructure behind it. So that's one of the decisions that once some more research is done as part of the scoping study um, we hope to be able to, to make. Well you can see the difference between a dune stretch on the beach and this just here because this bit of infrastructure, this build up car park really is right at the beach. There's nothing between the sea and the, the piles here and the attempt to have a <laughs> asphalted walk here and the car parks a little bit further back there is a dune system so how would that work differently so as you can see from the dune system and i'm just wondering if we should walk on a little bit more because we were currently standing if we get a high wave we're going to get very wet feet <laughs> So I'll just move into, move into safety. Um, so with the dunes, because the dunes build up and the sand builds up, when the waves hit the dunes, they're not hitting a hard surface. They're not hitting the hard infrastructure and they don't do the same amount of damage. One of the dunes' functions is actually to absorb the impact and the power of the waves. So while quite a bit of sand does get washed away, it actually protects the infrastructure behind it. 
And as long as we have the right species, the right native sand binding species planted on these dunes, uh, because the sand is highly mobile, it will come back again. And so the dunes are quite capable of rebuilding themselves. So the storms can come up. The waves can hit the dunes, they can take some sand away, we'll get some sand and some plants remaining and then often we'll go in and we'll do further planting and then the sand will build up amongst those sand binders and the dune again grows in height and grows out towards the beach. So it's a really, really effective natural mechanism for protecting um, our coastline. So what would happen here if we had a spring tide? It really doesn't take much as it is for the ocean to come right up to where we are at this car park and behind us is the road and at the other side of the road are already businesses and buildings and everything. What would happen in a spring tide? At the moment with the waves looking as they are, if we did have a high spring tide um, at the same time and a decent swell, currently we'd get the same situation we've had a number of times over recent years where the waves would actually spill out onto the road and they tend to take the rocks and the logs with them and then we have quite a bit of clean up to do. So that's exactly what we're trying to avoid in the future by looking at some medium to long term solutions for Lyle Bay and the rest of our coastline as well. So if you're thinking about a more resilient capital, but it also probably applies to many other cities throughout New Zealand that most of them have a coastline, what are the main things that you really need to think about? We definitely need to future-proof ourselves. So the main things we need to think about is what is going to happen in the future. So we do need to take, you know, climate change, increased um, frequency and intensity of storms, sea level rise, all into account when we're looking at solutions. We do need to think long-term. So you know, around New Zealand, as well as in Wellington, we are very coastal cities and we have a lot of infrastructure right near the coast. So we do have to think about what is appropriate and in terms of future building as well. Um, and what are we prepared to, to do to protect that infrastructure as well as maintaining those natural values. So at the moment it's really it's about finding a balance between you know maintaining things like coastal roads that Wellingtonians love driving along the coastal road. We've got a beautiful coastline so we still want to retain that sort of access but we also have to have a think about um, how does that tie into the natural systems around the coast and the dunes that we're trying to build. So it's a matter of yeah, as I say finding the right balance. Urban resilience is a huge issue. It's really the ability not just to survive, but to be able to thrive, to be prepared for and to bounce back from both those immediate big shocks, but also ones that are just accumulated stresses, whether it's perhaps more refugees, um, sea level rise, doesn't happen overnight but it's very definitely having an impact on our planning and just bring that together so it's not just central government's um, issue or local government's issue it's businesses communities families and individuals as well that was wellington's mayor celia wade brown speaking at a workshop that brought together urban planners hazard scientists and policy makers to work out a strategy for the capital to become a resilient city Wellington recently joined the Rockefeller Foundation's 100 Resilient Cities program and is about to appoint a resilience officer. Among the workshop participants was Nicola Thompson, the director of the international program.
Hello, my name is uh, Nicola Thompson. I'm an associate director with the 100 Resilient Cities Initiative. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about uh, what 100 Resilient Cities is and what our mission is. Uh, the 100 Resilient Cities Initiative was launched by the Rockefeller Foundation as part of their centenary celebration in 2013. It's a $100 million commitment from the foundation to work with cities all over the world um, in partnership to uh, help them to uh, build their resilience, their social, physical, and economic resilience in the face of the challenges that the 21st century are bringing. Uh, we so that could be any kind of, I'm assuming, disaster. We're talking really about disasters rather than challenges? No, it's certainly a broader concept than that. The way that we define urban resilience at 100 Resilient Cities is the ability of a city to not just survive but thrive in the face of shocks and stresses. And shocks are your traditional disasters, the things we all think of when we think about what could go wrong, um, a disease outbreak, an earthquake, a global financial crisis. But we also recognize that it's equally important that a city builds its resilience to stresses, which are things that are happening in a city constantly or on a cyclical basis that are actually weakening the fabric of the city. Uh, they can be social, economic or environmental processes that affect the city's immune system, so to speak, and mean that when something does go wrong, things can quickly spiral out of control if the city hasn't built its, its fundamental uh, social, economic and physical resilience. And that's the emphasis that we take in our work with cities. So an example of the latter of the stresses could be growing inequality, could be climate change, those absolutely, sort of things? Absolutely, yeah. In equity, climate change, uh, an undiversified local economy, um, the list goes on. Uh, and part of what we do with all of our member cities, we provide all of our member cities with four things. We provide them with funding to hire a chief resilience officer who is a senior person who's chosen by the city to lead a, a cross-sector, cross-stakeholder, cross-silo process by which the city decides what their resilience building strengths and weaknesses are and what their priorities are going to be. And a, a lot of that is about analysing um, what are the stresses that are operating on Wellington City right now? What are the different environmental, social and economic factors that are weakening Wellington's ability to survive a, a shock, a classic disaster, but also its ability to thrive during times of calm as well? Can you tell me a bit about what triggered the initiative? What was behind the thinking why we need to have something like 100 resilient cities? And then, of course, is 100 enough? Shouldn't all cities think about this? The Rockefeller Foundation is a hundred-year-old uh, philanthropy and they have worked for decades on uh, a number of issues but um, particularly on urban planning and the demands that manifest in cities around um, ensuring a social, economic and environmental well-being around 2011-2012 a lot of organizations around the world were talking about urban resilience it was this new idea that everybody felt was really important particularly because of urbanization globalization climate change all of these stresses were, were manifesting at a city level and they're going to do so increasingly but one of the things that we the Rockefeller Foundation realized is that there wasn't a common definition everybody didn't agree what we meant when we said urban resilience so the foundation undertook a year of intensive research where they um, went to cities around the world that were demonstrating very high urban resilience, that were coping really well under strain or bouncing back from shocks. And they undertook uh, case studies, they interviewed people throughout the city in order to get a better understanding of what it is that makes a city resilient. 
And as a result of that year of inquiry, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation decided to launch the 100 Resilient Cities Initiative. It's actually the biggest financial com commitment that the foundation has made in its entire 100-year history, which I think speaks to the depth of conviction that the foundation has about how important this work is going to be over the next 10 to 20 to 50 years. Uh, so that was the genesis of the 100 Resilient Cities Initiative. And the idea uh, isn't that only 100 cities are going to do this, but that these 100 cities will lead the way in working out what it means to actually apply urban resilience in practice. I'm Mike Galulia from Christchurch, and I'm uh, the Chief Resilience Officer for Christchurch City. This was a, a role that didn't exist two years ago. Resilience, I, th I think one of the th key concepts to, to get your head around is uh, there is no real end point to this. There is no defined end state. It, it's, it's a journey, and it might sound a bit nebulous, but it is a journey. It's about uh, deep and rich conversations with many people around the table. I'm really excited about this conversation for Wellington and I think it's going to be different than our Christchurch conversation. I think people in Wellington are very much aware of, of their risks uh, and they're very much aware of what's happened in Christchurch. So in Christchurch we've got a focus area around um, understanding and becoming better prepared for the uncertain. Now that started out as becoming more resilient to nature's challenges so when we started engaging in workshops people were saying it's about the earthquakes, it is about the flooding, it's about the distant source tsunami from, from Chile. But actually, when you start peeling it back and talking with community, uh, when you start looking at the framework and, and the drivers around resilience, you understand that embedded in this is actually people and uh, their health and their livelihoods. And becoming better prepared for the certain and the uncertain is as much about poverty and inequity as it is about uh, earthquakes and tsunami and flooding. Hi, I'm Toby Kent, Chief Resilience Officer from Melbourne. Tell me a bit about your experience so far. Melbourne and Wellington are often compared as having similar weather, almost like a similar layout. Most uh, cities in the world um, attract people to them because of opportunities. Melbourne is growing at a faster rate than Wellington is, but at the same time, people come to our cities for, for similar reasons, either uh, in, in terms of opportunity. Um, with that seeking of opportunity comes those who manage to have the good fortune to grasp the opportunity and those uh, who are less fortunate. So in terms of the stresses that our cities will face today or do face today and will continue to face in the future as we think about how we really best preserve the great things about our cities and that tackling that stress of social inequality, social isolation, social marginalization are all core elements because I think at heart uh, resilience is a fundamental human quality. It is something that as individuals uh, we recognize the qualities of resilience. As a city, or as cities, we are really only the sum of our parts. And so the extent to which we are a thriving city is equally mirrored by we are only as resilient as our most vulnerable communities. In Melbourne, do you find that your focus is more or less on those social stresses, or is it natural hazards and potential disasters or is it economical? What we've decided in Melbourne is uh, we live in this rather interesting period of the world where we can better model the future than ever before in history. 
Yet at the same time, the pace of change and the complexity of the world is such that it's, we have less idea of what the future will hold than at any point in history. So bearing in that in mind, bearing in mind that there will be, we face many, many hazards uh, in different ways within and across the city, uh, what we've actually said is what are the things we can fundamentally do to strengthen our city regardless of what we may face? So that doesn't ignore things like heat wave and fire and flooding, some of our more obvious shocks. It certainly takes account of thinking about uh, access to uh, housing, to stressed infrastructure. Um, and in each of those cases, we have agencies and organizations working on them. So this work is about saying, how do we complement those activities? How do we create perhaps at times a longer term vision? And how do we then ensure a better working so that we really are enabling and activating all of society to be better prepared in a way that is in engaging and optimistic. It's not about doom-mongering. That was Toby Kent, the Chief Resilience Officer for Melbourne. You also heard Nicola Thompson, Director of City Relationships for the Rockefeller Foundation's 100 Resilient Cities Programme, Wellington Mayor Celia Wade-Brown, and Urban Ecology Team Leader at the Wellington City Council, Mafanwi Emini. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.